Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. It is Friday, July 22nd. I'm Peter Apple. That's Jack McMullen. We have a loaded episode, my friend. We have a Ryan LaVarnway interview at the end, but we're also going to talk about some MLB power rankings that you wrote on JustBaseball.com. But first, we got a couple interesting headlines from the All-Star Game. A couple, one good one, one, one that made me just think that Juan Soto is getting traded by the end of next week. So let's start with Juan Soto. The Nationals made Juan Soto fly commercial instead of chartering a plane and letting him fly private. So basically, he was on a Spirit Airlines flight at seat 32B, which we have sat in a number of times. Yeah. And it made me think to myself, man, that situation is bad. And it went so quickly bad. But also, I want to throw another thing at you because I saw a good tweet. Why didn't Boris fly him private either? He's got all the money in the world. Yeah, it's a pinch. Like you need a, a good deal with Wheels Up or Sun Country or something like that. You need you need a deal with a, a charter small plane company. Um, I'm sure Boris has it, but it's hard to get it there when you know you're flying that Sunday night to get to LA Monday morning. Or in Soto's case, I think he landed at 1:30 uh, LA time, which is what 4:30 DC time. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like it, it's a pinch. You would think that the Nationals would would have had that equipped for their All Star, but they didn't. Um, same can be said about Paul Blackburn in Oakland. So they wanted to fly Blackburn commercially, and the Astros caught wind of that. Oakland finished their series in Houston and said, "Dude, just get on our our flight." So he flew charter with the Astros. Um, the the thing about Soto flying commercial is, I saw a couple of reports that the Nationals refused to fly him charter. The the A's were just being idiots. And they were like, oh yeah, like we booked him first class on United. And that's the thing. When when we say fly commercial, it's not back of the plane, like our broke asses fresh out of college <laughs> fly. It is first class on United or Delta or American, you know, like they're fine. They're being pampered. But it's, it's the thought. Yeah. This is an all-star. This is major league baseball you are given the option of steak or salmon on the flight on getaway day at the major league level. That's what you work so hard to get. You work so hard to get on that private plane, get on that team plane, have PF Chang's catered up to the the door on the runway uh, and, and take off. You're not in it to fly like everybody else. You're above that. And Juan Soto is above that. Paul Blackburn is above that. And both of their organizations did not feel that they were above that. And I think the number that Juan Soto is going to put pen to paper for is going to be well above that. I agree. And it's going to be well above that, but it's also two different completely situations. I mean, with Paul Blackburn, you know, Billy Bean, you know, with the Oakland A's in Moneyball, they like to keep the money on the field. 
<laughs> and, you know, the Oakland Athletics at the end of the day, they don't have the money to do so, or at least they act like they don't, even though they're a major league franchise and they totally could do that. I feel like it's a little bit different situation with Juan Soto. Not only is he an all-star, not only did he win the home run derby, even though he landed at 1.30 in the morning, he's the best player in Washington Nationals franchise history. I mean, you could go back to the Expos and say maybe Pedro was an all-time great, of course, and Vladimir Guerrero, of course. But in Washington Nationals history, this is a 19-year-old who won a ring and then has been an MVP caliber candidate and expects to sign the largest contract, which they will not be giving him. They already extended an extension of $440 million, which he declined. And I know you guys talked about that on Monday. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's probably going to sign a contract elsewhere. And it seems like it's only a matter of days before he gets traded now. I just saw that headline and thought to myself, man, this is going south. Remember two months ago where we were asking or we were answering those questions from the mailbag, where is Juan Soto getting traded? And we scoffed at it. Jack, we scoffed at it because we thought there was no way in hell. And now it seems like there's no way in hell he's not getting traded. I think it was June 1st that Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, said, uh, said we are not trading Juan Soto legitimately said that outright we are not trading Juan Soto he didn't pussyfoot around anything he just said we're not trading Juan Soto but when you say no to 15 years 440 I dude like there's nothing I can do for you here if I'm Mike Rizzo if I'm Nat's ownership there's nothing that I can do for Soto and that's not a Soto problem hell that's not even a Scott Boris problem that is we just decided to empty the tank on this offer you said no we literally have an empty tank. We're not going to tap into the reserves here because we need 25 other guys on the roster. Yep. We can't do this. His contract is going to decimate any team that he goes to. I think everybody knows that. Steve Cohen, yes, he's got unlimited money with the Mets. It's going to hurt. $500 million is going to hurt for Juan Soto. For the Dodgers, that, that ownership group, it's going to hurt. For the Yankees, if they do it, it's going to hurt. Whoever signs Soto to this $500 million deal is signing up to have this guy enter Cooperstown with his cap on, but also financially handcuff you for the foreseeable future. So are you okay with that if you do think that he is this transcendent Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams type talent? If the answer is yes, then maybe you go for it and see what happens here, like a Bucks and Giannis situation. Giannis is, I, like the surrounding talent around Giannis was not good enough, but they knew that they had one of the greatest players of all time. And we know that in his mid twenties, the question that all these frontline executives, that all of these owners who are shelving out the money and all of these general managers, these president of baseball operations need to be asking is, do we think this is the Giannis Antetokounmpo of baseball? Do we think that this is the guy who, when he's 25 years old, we are going to be looking at and saying, this is a one man wrecking crew. He's one of the greatest players of all time, and we're so happy he's here. He's never leaving. I don't know if the answer is yes or no yet. Granted, it's Juan Soto. Obviously, he's done amazing things since 2019, but in a vacuum, like that's a, that's a pretty short period of time. Granted, it is Juan Soto, but at the same time, and we, we were going over just some numbers pre-record, and Juan Soto is limited to a corner. He's a corner outfielder who currently ranks in the first percentile of outs above average. You brought me that set before we recorded first, which means he's one of the worst defenders by the numbers in baseball right now in a corner outfield. 
He's not perfect. No baseball player is. Like Trout's not perfect either. He's also been dealing with injury concerns. But at the end of the day, it's Mike Trout. And he's on the Angels. And how are the Angels doing? And I think that's a good segue into our power rankings because neither the Angels or the Nationals are actually the last team in baseball. That just goes to show that the Paul Blackburn-led Oakland A's are at number 30. You know, we could start talking about the Oakland A's at number 30, but do you have anything on them? One quick thing. uh, Their owner, John Fisher, his parents founded Gap. Uh, He has a net worth of $2.2 billion, and he chose to book Paul Blackburn on a commercial flight. So that's that. Keep the money on the field. Okay. Yeah, that's bullshit. Washington Nationals are at number 29. I mean, we could go through a lot of the teams, but I want to go through the biggest risers because you should go read Jack's article on JustBaseball.com ranking all 30 teams, power ranking them after the All-Star break. There hasn't been a lot of movement, but I'm sure Cubs fans don't like to see themselves at number 25, and you are a Cubs fan. It's just the direction with the Chicago Cubs at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, what do you have, right? I think I said in the write-up that that a retool, if you can't see that the quote-unquote retooling that Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins branded this as is now a rebuild, then you need to open your eyes a little bit wider because what they tried to do in the quote-unquote retooling department with Marcus Stroman and Wade Miley and other guys like that has just blown up in their face. So I don't think you can look at this roster and say, yeah, like I see a path to success right now. I think you can look at the teams in in low A, high A, and double A and say, yeah, there's a chance that there's success four years down the road. So lean into that. Get the expiring deals off your plate. Get the vets who are so sought after that are going to get you a great haul off your plate. Shell Wilson Contreras out. Shell Ian Happ out. Whoever has value, dish them out. And work around a guy like Christopher Morrell, who has become electric. Work around guys in the minor leagues right now, like Brennan Davis and like, I mean, Kevin Alcantara, guys like Owen Casey, Pete Crow Armstrong, who was just in the Futures game. There is a ton of young talent. They're not there yet. Lean into it. Allow the rebuild to happen for more than half a season like they wanted it to in the back half of 2021 and get moving in 2025. One of the biggest fallers for good reason is the Los Angeles Angels, who currently sit at 39 and 53, and they check in at 21 in these power rankings, a drop of four from the previous rank of 17. Jack, I don't even know if I need your analysis. I'm just going to read through their lineup from the game where they pitched Jose Suarez against the Dodgers, where they lost seven to one. Yeah. Leading off was Luis Rignifo. Did I pronounce Renifo. that correctly, Jack? Rignifo. Rignifo. Excuse me. At third base. You got Shoya Otani. Amazing. Taylor Ward has been very good this year, but he has been slowing down. He's currently hitting 286, which is a far cry away from when he was hitting 370. Yeah. Yeah. Max Stassi is the catcher. Good catcher. Hitting 203 at the end of the day. Fine. Joe Adele, you know. Okay. Athletic. Yep. Athletic. David McKinnon. No. He's hitting 189 as their first baseman right now. Brandon Marsh. No. Michael Stefanik. Okay, nice guy. No. <laughs> Andrew Velasquez. No. That's, That's the reality. And, yeah, and I mean, Trout's on the shelf again. Trout's on yeah. the IL again. So I don't know when the next full season of Mike Trout we're going to get is. Um, Shohei Otani, enjoy him while you have him. And he's going to sign for $65 million annually. And uh, whether that be with the Angels or not, we'll see. 
they have done a decent job in recent drafts and they just had a pretty good draft this past weekend. Um, I, I think that the angels are setting themselves up for future success. Problem is I did. I just don't know if that aligns with the peak of Mike Trout's powers and the peak of Shohei Otani's powers and, and contractually when he's obligated to stay. So I floated this take more as a joke, but there's truth in every joke at the end of the day, you know, truth is funny. Yes. Of trading Shohei Otani trading Mike Trout. No. <laughs> what is this? What are what team are we looking at here? What is the goal? Because you're not going to sign Shohei to a $60 million deal per year. And you already got Mike Trout locked up. You already got all these guys locked up. It was actually mocked on ESPN. ESPN came out with this, trading Shohei Otani to the Braves. Do I believe that? Of course not. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still in the back of my mind because at the end of the day, this is an Angels team with no future or at least right now with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, you have to do something because you're not going to be able to sign Shohei with all the contracts that you're locked up with. I saw a good one from Andy McCullough with The Athletic, and I really like Andy's work. I love his work, but I just cackled at this one. Um, Shohei, Anthony Rendon, Joe Adele, and cash considerations to Washington for Juan Soto. Just makes no sense. I was like, what are we doing here? No, <laughs> just throw it everything at the wall on purpose. All yeah. right, let's move. Let's move away from the angels. And I got to say, this was a surprising faller from me when I was going through your list. Texas Rangers dropped from 16 to 20. And while the offense is starting to heat up, we just saw a good start from uh, John Gray. I mean, they beat the Marlins who haven't scored since July 15th, since Aram was yeah. 24 years old, since before <laughs> the all-star break, 34 innings straight of zero runs. So you don't put a ton of stock into that, but the offense has at least been better. What made the Rangers fall? Because I don't think they should have fallen. I think they should have probably stayed around the same, but fallen four spots was interesting to me. Yeah. I think some other teams have done a good job of rising from okay. The, the 20 and the early 20s. Uh, I, I think with Texas, I just I kind of see through what they're doing right now. And I think mm -hmm. everybody does, you know, like, yes, you're eight games under 500. But again, Martin Perez, he might be a sitting duck here. How long is this going to be sustained? John Gray just put together a good start against the worst offense in baseball right now. They haven't scored in 34 innings. Um, and if you watch John Gray yesterday against the Marlins, I mean, he was leaving sliders middle, middle, like there was a uh, Eli Sussman of fish stripes. Um, and I texted the group about this. Like he, he clipped a video of Jesus Sanchez fouling a ball back to the screen and totally off balance on an 85 mile an hour cement mixer, middle, middle. John Gray was not executing pitches at all yesterday. The Marlins are just so bad, but then you're running out Taylor Hearn. You're running out Glenn Otto. You're running out guys. I don't know. Like, Brock Burke, Spencer Howard, like the, there's just nothing good there. The good is Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, and they're coming. I will say Brock Burke has been pretty phenomenal in that bullpen, but it's one of the bright spots of their pitching, and they need Kumar Rocker, and they need Jack Leiter. Yeah. Orioles fans are going to be upset with you. They're going to be upset with you, and you know it. I know. They're ranked 18, or are they ranked 19? They were, they were 19. They've moved up to only 18. Jack, they're going to be pissed off at you. So state your case. Yeah. Um, your starting rotation is Jordan Lyles, Tyler Wells. Do we really believe that 338 yes. ERA? Tyler Wells might be the new Cal Quantrill. Spencer Watkins. Do we believe the 393? 
No. Dean Kramer, do we believe 259? Yes. Austin Voth, do we believe 342? You know what's funny about Austin Voth? He came out with a comment that when he went over the Orioles, that it was great that they had all these numbers and he was able to really dive into his pitch mix. And now Washington fans are probably thinking to themselves, are you kidding me? We don't have numbers for these guys? That They aren't able to like have the data that most of these teams do? I mean, with the Orioles, you know, they've been last place in the AL East, but the AL East has been the best division in baseball. So you can't really blame them. By the end of the day, they haven't been that great of a team in recent years, but they still have better data than the Washington Nationals. So maybe the Voth thing is for real now that he has actual data. I don't think so. Um, so that's my case with the pitching. Offensively, Ryan McKenna is playing too many games. Cedric Mullins has a 700 OPS. Jorge Mateo's got a 610 OPS. Rugnet Odor has a 655 OPS. Robinson Chirinos has played 46 games with a 523 OPS. I think that we're really excited about what's to come. I think we're really excited about Adley. I think we're really excited about Mountcastle, Mancini, Santander has been good. Um, and obviously with Jorge Lopez, Felix Bautista, and CNL Perez have done in the bullpen. But like, there's just not enough there for me. Right now, there's not enough there. And the way that we attack these power rankings is by looking at who the legitimately best teams in baseball are, the teams with the best chance to win the World Series are. And I just don't see it with the Baltimore Orioles. I know they've been great in Rose's spot, but you win 10 in a row as the Orioles, I don't think you're a top 10 team in baseball. Now, Seattle, you can see it, and we'll get to them later because they're pretty high up there. You can see it because of the star power. You can see it because what has turned into track record is turned into current results. With Baltimore, you just haven't seen it yet. So I just have to see more. And you don't see it with your 16th ranked White Sox either? Uh, they're up from what, 20 or 21? Yeah, 20. They're up from 20. So I that division's so bad, dude. Yeah. It's so Not bad. Good. Like they could absolutely win that division. But? But they keep shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. They just have no fundamentals. It's like, it's almost, to put it in, I guess, basketball terms, they sort of remind me of like the Lakers. Like, you know, you're supposed to play good defense. This bullpen was supposed to be good. And the Lakers are, you know, you're supposed to shoot threes. You're supposed to play defense, but they're just not doing it. Does that make sense for the White Sox that it's just everything has to work in harmony? And when it's not, they look like a third place team. And that's why when we're ranking teams, who could possibly win the World Series the White Sox have, in your opinion, the 16th best chance at doing so? I think so. Um, you know, it's it's tough because you've got Minnesota and Cleveland above them. Do I think that Minnesota and Cleveland are more talented? No. I think that the White Sox are one of the six or seven most talented teams in baseball, and I genuinely believe that. But the thing is, Leury Garcia has played 67 games. Do you know what he's slugging? I don't even want a guess to be disrespectful. It, he's slugging 262. Oh, I was even... Uh, so, like, that's the thing, guess. dude. I mean, you've got Luis Robert. You've got Tim Anderson. You've got guys that are exceptionally talented, like Andrew Vaughn. But then you've got Yoan Moncada looking like a shell of his former self. Gavin Sheets looking like he's a liability. Jose Abreu's obviously been great. But, again, you're wasting space on Reese McGuire and Leori Garcia offensively. It's 
it's really, really hard to watch. Now, I think the pitching is a bright spot. I, I really love what Cease is doing. I think he's a sleeper Cy Young candidate. I love what Kopech is doing. And I like what Johnny Cueto is doing, to be totally honest. But Lance Lynn, I was hoping to see great things from Lance Lynn. The guy sucks right now. So we'll yeah. see what goes on with that. I just I feel like this team is is due to shoot themselves in the foot again just because they've had 10 good games. And a team that you and Arm really thinks shooting themselves in the foot. That's the Boston Red Sox, maybe the biggest faller in these entire rankings. Previous ranking was seven. They have now dropped to 13. You guys were talking about this losing streak that I feel like hasn't gotten much noise. But the Boston Red Sox are there where they are, third place in their division, right above the Blue Jays, or at least right next to the Blue Jays, definitely below the Tampa Bay Rays. I want to play devil's advocate, though. So give me your case of why you think the Red Sox should be at 13, and I'm going to give you my case why I still think they're a top-10 team in baseball. Last two games uh, against the Yankees, they lost a combined 27 to three. The Yankees are the best team in baseball. 27 to three? Yeah. I mean, with run differential and all that kind of stuff, it's like sometimes you're watching the games and it's like 6 0, and then they take their foot off the gas and then they get a couple runs against this a bullpen. They'll throw in a random guy. I don't put a ton of stock into that. It's just so hard for me to think that this Red Sox team managed by Alex Cora with what they have done in recent past. Like, is Alex Verdugo going to continue to struggle like this? Is the outfield in general going to continue to be this bad? Rafael Devers is doing his thing. Xander Bogarts is doing his thing. Don't you think that the Red Sox are going to be buyers at this deadline? Add big-time pieces. We mock Josh Bell. That's a big upgrade over a Bobby Dalbeck. You know, even Christian Vasquez has been playing better too. And I know Sale just went out with the injury. But it's just so hard for me to believe that they won't be in this come wildcard season and that they're just going to figure out how to win games. I mean, the bullpen is still good. They got Garrett Whitlock back in there, which is a great spot for him. I think Tanner Houck is going to improve as well. And then you look at the rotation. There's still guys who we expect to regress, but haven't really been regressing that much. Yeah. I still think the Red Sox are a top 10 team, but I'm not as high on them as I was when I called them one of the best teams in baseball. I don't think they're there, but I still think they deserve to be top 10. Yeah, I think a lot of teams, um, a lot of teams, when, when you see conflict, it stems from what's going on on the field. The Red Sox are unique, and I think that, the reason that they fell as drastically as they did is because I feel like what's happening right now with Bogart's endeavors in terms of contractual conversation can't not affect them. I mean, those are the two best players on the team. JD Martinez has been great. JD already got paid, but um, I, I said it on the Monday show. This team is good because of the two guys that they refuse to pay Bogart's Devers. When those two are laughing, when Alex Spear of the Boston globe asks them what, they think Rafi's value is that shows you that this team in this front office, I don't want to say team that this front office has no respect for the service that Rafi Devers provides the Boston Red Sox. So that that's my big thing there. You've probably got two really unhappy superstars, whether they're showing it or not. Um, and I think that that can't do anything positive for your clubhouse. I guess my thing is I look at the twins who you ranked um, number 11 in these in these yeah. power rankings. Um, they jumped up a spot from number 12. 
I look at the Twins and I look at the Red Sox. I objectively think the Red Sox are better. I can't look at this Twins roster. We, let's go through the, that same rotation. Like the Red Sox rotation is that bad. Let's go through the Twins rotation. They ain't doing shit either. It's not good. I, the bullpen, I, I think it's worse than the Red Sox. We look at the offense. Red Sox can bang right with them. I think the Red Sox are kind of better on every facet of the field. So it's not good, but easier path to the postseason for the Twins, which gives them a better chance at winning the World Series. Not wrong. Much lighter schedule. Minnesota also has the vibes. The vibes are immaculate in Minnesota right now. Just think about the vibes. Seriously. Carlos Correa is playing well now. He's happy. Jorge Polanco has been playing well. He's happy. Byron Buxton just started an all-star game. That dude is as happy as can be. He just went nuclear. Hit a bomb in the all-star game. And Luis Arise is Rod Carew. He's Rod Carew's favorite player, he said. He, Ichiro, said that Luis Arise was his favorite player right now. That's fire. Ichiro said Luis Arise. So I, I think that this offense is too fun, and pitching can be contagious. I think that pitching can catch that positivity bug from the offense and say, you know what, let's go. Let's pick these guys up. I think they're going to win a lot more 5-4 games than the Red Sox are. I don't, I just don't agree with this bullpen. I think you're right with the offense. Like the offense, I agree. It's right up there with the Red Sox because the Red Sox have one of the best offenses in baseball. And you can say that the same for the twins. But when I'm looking at a playoff series, I trust the Red Sox bullpen more. I just do, especially with Whitlock, with Schreiber. And then when you go to the rotation outside of Sonny Gray, who is the same Sonny Gray that has been dominating on the Oakland A's? was dominating on the Cincinnati Reds and is now very good in the regular season, but has also dealt with injury concerns behind him. You have a guy like Devin Smeltzer. We're talking about Dean Kramer and his two five nine ERA not, not continuing. And what about Devin Smeltzer? I mean, a lot of these guys, it's like, yes, they've been performing fine, but at the end of the day, do we believe in the twins rotation? And I certainly do not believe in the twins bullpen. I just, I can't fathom the Red Sox being worse than the Twins, even though the vibes are immaculate. Yeah, my thing is like, who are the Red Sox running out right now? Because Pavetta's got a 4-5 ERA. Yavaldi, obviously. Whitlock, obviously. But I just don't think that the pitching skews so heavily in favor of Boston over Minnesota. Um, I don't think either of these teams survive the ALDS or a wild card series for totally different reasons. I, I think the Red Sox just kind of crumble Pitching wise, I think a blow up inning gets them. And obviously they can't defend for shit in the outfield. They can't get to anything in the outfield for the twins. I think they get blown out of the ballpark by a good offensive team that hammers inferior pitching. I have more confidence in the twins getting there than I do the Red Sox. I think that's fair, but a team that you have above both of them is now we break into the top 10 is the Toronto Blue Jays with a worse record than both. Is yeah. that kind of your thinking? I still believe in the Blue Jays because like, do we believe that Jose Barrios is just going to have a terrible season or do we believe that he's going to tick up? Alec Manoa just really seems like he is that fucking dude. Yes. I mean, you hear him mic'd up in the all-star game. He's just got the bravado and he's got the stuff to back it up. He's for real. Kevin Gosman. We'll see about the bad second half. I've said it from the beginning of the year. Great first half of San Francisco, really bad second half. Great first half of Toronto. We'll see. Not saying that he will, just saying that we'll have to see. Then you look at the rest of rotation, not great. Outside of Jordan Romano, maybe Meza has been good. Simbra has been good. But outside of that, 
There's not a lot to hold on to. And, and the Super, offense has not been as electric as it was last year, but you still believe in the Blue Jays over the Red Sox and Twins. Yeah, so Simber's thrown a billion games. The, the reason that I have the Jays higher than the, than the Red Sox and the Twins, they just hit 280 as a team in July before the All-Star break. Like, they have the best team batting average in baseball before the All-Star break. It, it does feel like this offense is starting to finally come around. And I think that was the thing that frustrated everybody. Obviously, Barrios is frustrating as hell. Um, the the pitchers going down left and right, that was frustrating as hell. But if you look at Toronto and, and you realize that the crux of the frustration was with Bo Bichette hitting the ball on the ground all the time to start the year. Vladdy feeling like he was figured out to start the year. And George Springer being in and out of the lineup, he was good, but Matt Chapman struggling to find form. Now, look at the numbers. Alejandro Kirk has come out of nowhere in the last two months. Vladdy's up to an 830 OPS. Santiago Espinal's been great. Bo Bichette is turning a page. He's still been underwhelming. Matt Chapman is turning a page so far this year. Springer's still been great. Teoscar Hernandez is starting to really tick up. I think that if, if they remain healthy, this offense can do what we thought they were going to do in spring training, and that's win a shit ton of games by a shit ton of runs. I think that's fair. I will say Santiago Espinal has slowed down offensively. Remember offensively, but not start, defensively. Not defensively, and I think that's key because that, that's what they expected from Santiago Espinal was to be this Swiss army knife that they could use all over the field, and the offense was just a bonus, and he gave them even more than they could have even wanted. Yes. And now I think he's just regressing to what they thought he would be, which is still an above-average player because of that defense. 100%. I want to touch on a couple of teams because they're right in a row. Because we debated about these teams, about the Padres and the Cardinals, but right in the middle of them is those Seattle Mariners. Before we get back into that Padres-Cardinals debate, because I do think it's very interesting – the floor is yours on the Seattle Mariners because they are the highest risers and they forgot how to lose. They forgot how to lose. They've won 14 in a row. I think that they somehow got better during this four-day All-Star break because what Julio Rodriguez just did on a national and international stage was enough to get more eyes on TV sets watching the Seattle Mariners. And it feels like they took such positivity into the break. They didn't want the break to come. Mm -hmm. And here they are coming back from that. And Julio should be walking like he's got a 10 foot long dick. He has yeah. to be walking like that because you know what? He does. He's got the biggest Tripod. dick in baseball right now. Tripod. And obviously we're speaking metaphorically. Neither of us have seen it. You were in LA. You might've seen it. Yeah. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so apparently a big one, Peter, Peter confirms, but I mean, this guy is walking around like he's got a massive one. And he should be walking around like he's got a massive one because what he did during the Derby and what he does with his infectious personality are exactly what superstars do. And you add the young superstar in baseball to Robbie Ray, who's looking really, really good over the last month, Logan Gilbert, who has continued this great start to the season and the offense really starting to come around. Eugenio Suarez has been a great power bat for the Seattle Mariners here. So I, I think that everything is clicking at the right time. How long is it going to quick is the real question, but we viewed the Mariners as sleeper contenders. I think they have entered the sleeper contender conversation again, and this just proves that baseball is the longest season of all because they were down for the count a month ago, and here we are saying that they are the seventh best team in baseball. 
I have been a little bit more down on the Mariners than I think you and Aram have. And my reasoning for it is when I look across the landscape of mega buyers, right? Like I think the twins are going to be in on Luis Castillo, whether they get him or not, they're going to be in and they're going to be adding starters. A lot of these teams, Red Sox, Blue Jays, they're going to be big time buyers. When I look at the Mariners, history has shown that they will not be big time buyers that while they could trade for Juan Soto, it's more than likely they don't. It's more than likely they don't make the big-time move for the starting pitcher, which they could definitely use because you go down the rotation, too, with the Marco Gonzalez's of the world and the Chris Flexens of the world. Yeah. These are decent arms, but come playoff time against big-time offenses, I'm curious how they will perform. Offensively, they're a good team offensively, not a great team offensively. Defensively, they're a good team defensively, not great. Bullpen. Good, not great. Does DePoto view this? This is the window now. This is when we finally make the move. I'm just unsure. If they do, egg on my face. We'll rank them accordingly. But that has always been my wait a minute on the Mariners. I want to see what they look like August 3rd. Yeah. Um, I don't think they look much different. I'm with you. I don't think that they're going to go get a Castillo or a Frankie Montas. I don't think that they are going to go get a Juan Soto, even though they can move for him. We know how bright the future is in Seattle. Here's the thing. They were so ridiculously fun last year, and that obviously had something to do with them winning all those games. So, you know, you can take all the numbers, you can take the run differential, and when a team is having that much fun and wants to win that badly – we learned at the end of last year that you can throw that out the window. That's what we have been able to throw out the window the last two weeks with the Seattle Mariners because Carlos Santana has been really good for them. You know, like there is no rhyme or reason to why Seattle does the things that they have done last fall and so far this summer over the last two weeks, three weeks. Um, I, I really think that this team has that youthful exuberance spearheaded by Julio that can take them not to the Astros, but can take them into the wild card and, and they can make some serious noise. And Ty France is a legend. Ty France, electric. St. Louis Cardinals for San Diego Padres. Yeah. Cardinals rose three spots. The Padres dropped a spot. When you were making these rankings, did our argument come into your mind? And with that said, the argument is still on your side because you still do like the Padres more. But the Cardinals have been playing better. Again, I think they'll be big-time buyers, but again, so will the Padres. I just think that at the end of the day, the Cardinals brand of baseball, when you look at their roster compared to the Padres, especially because Tatis, we still don't know when he'll be back. Yeah. He could miss the entire season. I don't think any of us would be totally shocked. Does that scare you about the Padres? Or when you rank the Padres six, is it assuming that he will be back at least by maybe September, let's say? Maybe so August. So it's knowing that there is an opportunity for Fernando Tatis Jr. to come back. If he was out for the year, I, I really do think that the Padres would be a lot lower than this. But I, I think that the light at the end of the tunnel is still flickering a little bit. And, and I think that um, that provides some optimism there. At the end of the day, I just look at the starting pitching, man. I mean, I just I look at the difference between starting pitching. I look at what can survive. And Blake Snell threw, what, 90 pitches without getting four outs the other yeah. day or something? Yeah, like, I bet on him. It sucked. It was horrible, dude. And why would you do that to a guy like that? Just take his ass out. Um, but, I mean, it, like, I, I just think that what 
San Diego has to run out to the mound is just objectively way better than what St. Louis has at this moment to run out to the mound. Now, next time we release power rankings is going to be after the trade deadline. I fully expect St. Louis to jump San Diego fully because I think that they're going to make a move for Frankie Montas. I think that they have to make a move for Frankie Montas. San Diego, if they don't get Juan Soto, they're going to drop a little bit. But I think that AJ Preller is the perfect brand of psychopath to go dish out the entirety of their future to put together a top three for the next two and a half years of Tatis, Soto, and Manny Machado. I really think the Padres are the favorite to sign Juan Soto. I, I saw the Yankees and Mets were the betting favorites, and then I saw the Dodgers, um, but I also saw that the Padres reached out to him. I think the Padres – I mean, think about a team that's crazy enough to do it. He wants to pair him with Tatis, but on the Tatis note, I don't think that we can assume that even when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back, that he's right back to being electric and hitting 45 home runs be. overall he's, 162. He's some sort of alien life form, so I think that he will be. That's not a bad take either. It's just they're humans at the end of the day. I don't I mean, think we say they're free shows. Is. I do. I do think he's a human and especially a wrist thing. Because you got to swing the bat. The wrist is one of the most important things for a player. Yeah. I don't know if he comes back and he's immediately electric. Like I, I just, it's hard for me. To, but then again, it is Fernando Tatis Jr. And he may be from Mars. I just think when it's all said and done, the Cardinals are going to make the moves in order to be better than the Padres, yeah. even with the starting pitching concerns right now. I would take the Cardinals' bullpen over the Padres' bullpen. Yeah, so with Helsley and Hennessy's and yeah. They add Montes, then we're looking at this being like, yeah, you know, the Cardinals have every advantage except, except a lengthy amount of starting pitchers. When yes. at the end of the day, Mackenzie Gore is starting to falter slightly. Is Clevenger going to hold up? Blake Snell is already looking like, you know, he's up and down. I still love Blake Snell. Hugh Darvish has great starts than bad starts, but overall he's been solid. I don't know. And then Musgrove, of course, has been phenomenal. Yeah. But besides Musgrove, I'm not super confident in any of these starting pitchers. And if they don't make the move for the Montes, the Castillo, even the Merrill Kelly, just a solid guy. I like the Cardinals. I like the Cardinals too. And I would prefer quality over quantity, except when it's this stark of a difference. And we're going to tease you. You got to go check out the rest of the top five on justbaseball.com. Jack wrote up these power rankings. He's also going to release a TikTok so you can cheat and go watch the TikTok. Follow us on TikTok at just baseball fans, there we go. as well as on Instagram as well. I like teasing the top five. Top five is very good. There's a lot of good teams in there. Yeah. A lot of yeah. really good teams. They, you could make the argument that they're the top five teams in baseball. You could. And that's for you guys to decide. Go check out his article on justbaseball.com. But I'm very excited about this Ryan LaVarnway interview. He was phenomenal. Really unpacked his brain about all of the prospects he's been looking at because he was able to talk to coaches. He's the catcher now for the AAA Marlins, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. He's been able to catch like he was Max Myers catcher for that month before he got called up to the bigs has a lot of great insight into prospects so we're switching over from the mlb to the prospect side so here's ryan lavarnway we welcome on ryan lavarnway a big league catcher appearing in 10 seasons most notably with the boston red sox and is now the triple a catcher for the miami marlins 
in Jacksonville. Ryan, how you doing? And you got to show us your setup too, because you're set up pretty nicely in the press box right now. What's going on, bud? I'm in the press box. Uh, today's the last game before the All-Star break is over here in AAA. I'm up, uh, I'm up at the press box at our stadium. We got to practice right after this. Gorgeous. How's the season going so far down in Jacksonville? I know you've been bumping around between a couple of teams, but I just saw a bomb on your Twitter too. You're hitting the ball pretty hard. It seems like everything's going pretty well. Yeah, I'm having a great time. This is my what 15th summer playing baseball. I can't believe they still pay me to do this, but I'm still pretty good. I think I still have a lot of fun doing it. I started the season with AAA Toledo of, of Detroit's organization. And right after I had my daughter, right after my daughter was born, she was nine days old. She was actually on top of a Tigers jersey taking our newborn photos when I got called and I got traded to the to the Marlins. So it's been a little bit of a transition, but we're here and uh, I like the team we're on. I'm playing pretty well. Yeah, and we're talking with Ryan LaVarnway, catcher for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Ryan, I want to take you all the way back to when you were drafted. I want to talk about your career. I got to unpack your brain about some of the new minor league rules that especially affect catchers because you've been catching now for over a decade, as well as just some stuff about the All-Star game because we have a lot of new catchers in the All-Star game and also about the Futures game, a lot of good prospects in there. So you were drafted by the Red Sox in the sixth round. I just got to know, what was it like for your name to be called? And and then also on top of that, what was your first welcome to the bigs moment? Those are some of my favorite stories. Yeah, so uh, back in 2008, when I was drafted, they did actually six rounds on the first day. I was the last pick of the first day because the Red Sox had won the World Series the year before. So they had the last pick. Um, so I remember on all the recaps and on the websites, they were like from... Who was the first pick that year? No, Byron Buxton or um, whatever. It was Byron Buxton to Ryan LaVarno, Tim, whoever it was. <laughs> I, I got listed because I was the last pick of the first day, but it was pretty cool. Um, when I called the next day, I was supposed to call Theo Epstein to like get to know him or w- welcome myself to the organization. And the phone rang and it was defending champion Boston Red Sox. I was like, this is, this is surreal. I can't believe I'm with such an historic organization um and then my first call up you asked for my like welcome to the big story my first call up I was told you're going to bo- you're going to fly to Kansas City big poppy's banged up Kevin Euclid is banged up we don't know how either one of them is going to respond when they wake up in the morning so you're going to fly there meet the team you're either going to start in the game or you're going to fly back to AAA so don't tell anyone don't tell your family yet just get on a plane and go and it was kind of wild when I landed I got to baggage land they're like hey we're going to put Uke on the DL, but you're going to DH for Big Poppy tonight. So come to the field. You're in the lineup. So I want to ask you about your draft party. But first, <laughs> did Big Poppy give you any pointers? At least you get into the dugout and you're the guy who's now going to DH for one of the greatest DHs of all time. Did he give you any pointers before going up to bat? No, Big, Big Poppy was kind of a like handle his own business kind of guy. If you wanted to talk about an approach or what, sh- what should I look for against this pitcher, he was your guy because not only was he physically talented, he was a hitting genius. Yeah. Um, one time, you-, you never saw him in the dugout because he was either in the clubhouse on his phone reading a magazine during the game. Like, Big Poppy got to do the game a little bit different than other Whatever people. he wanted to do. <laughs> but he- there was a rookie he was facing for the first time. He'd never seen this guy. He was watching video in the tunnel right next to the dugout. And he came up, he was leading off. He goes, hey, guys, this is what's going to happen. This guy's going to get ahead of me with two sliders. Then he's going to throw one in the dirt, thinks I'm going to chase it. I'm not. He's going <laughs> to throw a heater up. I'm not going to lay off that either. And then on the 2-2 count, I'm going to hit a hanging slider over the monster opposite field. 
and we're watching this at bat play out and it happened exactly like he said it was going to never face the guy in his life he just knew exactly what was going to happen he just was a little bit ahead because you know we talk about prospects all the time and and everyone has the physical tools, right? But it's about really about the mental approach. I mean, Yogi Berra said it best that baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. But the reason I wanted to ask you about the draft party was I was just watching the Derek Jeter documentary. And, and then, of course, we were watching the 2022 MLB draft. And watching Jeter get drafted six overall, he says that he didn't even know what the, who the first five picks were and that he got the call and his heart sank because he thought he was going to go in the first five picks. Now, fast forward to 2022, these guys like Drew Jones is wearing an enormous chain. They look like celebrities already. Can you take us back to your draft party? Maybe were you wearing sweatpants or were you wearing a big chain or somewhere in the middle? Yeah, it's been, it's a very different experience now for these guys. So I I had led the country in batting average and slugging percentage in division one. So I was looking at going in the top, you know, three rounds maybe. And then I broke my wrist right, right before the draft. So I ended up dropping a little bit. We didn't really know what was going to happen. I had been talking to all 30 teams. A lot of the teams said, hey, we'll see you next year when you're a senior. And a few teams had basically said, you know, we're still going to see what, if we can pick you up. So the third round came and went. The fourth round came and went. I was watching it on the internet ticker by myself in my dad's home office. There was no draft party. There was no chains, no suits. Um, and then you get a phone call like, hey, if we take you in the next round, will you sign? And, you know, they're not really supposed to do that. I think pretty much everyone does because they want to make sure they get their guy or they don't waste a pick, especially if you're a high school guy or or a college junior where you have a little leverage Mm -hmm. to negotiate. A lot of those contracts are negotiated before they actually pick you to make sure they're going to get you. So they called, they said, hey, hey, uh, if we draft you, will you sign? And then by the time the sixth round came around, I was just relieved that I got picked because I had got it through my head that I was going in the draft. I wasn't prepared to go back to college the next year emotionally at that point. Um, so it was, it was really relief was the feeling I, I felt. And speaking of draft prospects, you were able to have the opportunity to talk to some of the prospects in the futures game and the futures game. I was just at the futures game. There were some guys who I just was totally impressed by And of course, it's cool to see them for an inning, but at the end of the day, it's an exhibition. Like this guy can look so great here because maybe he's ticking up in velocity a little bit because he's got adrenaline running through his veins. I think that's why I want to unpack your mind because talking to these guys, you can get a better clue of who they truly are rather than just watching an inning. Who were some of the futures game prospects that you were most impressed by and that you spoke with? And there's a few guys that I've played against this season in AAA. Uh, Mets catcher, Francisco Alvarez, he's number two on MLB Pipeline's top 100. He's this so dude is the truth. Yeah. You know what? Even when we we played against him right before the All-Star break, right before he left for the Futures game, I'm watching this guy catch, and we'll see what happens when the automated strike zone comes into play, but this guy catches it as well as anybody in the big leagues. He moves around wow. behind the plate. You can, you can just see the actions. He's got it. And then I think he was actually cold against us with the bat, but I talked to their manager, Kevin Bowles. He – he was my manager a hundred years ago. And he, he's telling me that this guy's the truth on both sides of the ball. So Francisco Alvarez, I got a lot of, you know, I would bet on him if I had to bet, if I was allowed to bet, which I'm not. Yes. Um, Just one question about Francisco Alvarez too, because a lot of people now with the new updates, you know, as some of these guys have now graduated, for example, like Riley green was the number one prospect. And then it was Francisco Alvarez. Riley green's now playing center field. So it seems like Francisco Alvarez really is that number one catcher. 
And you should see some of the comment sections that we're dealing with now for Mets fans who are just clamoring for this guy to be up in the big leagues, especially because the Mets have had their struggles at catcher this year with James McCann, not truly being the hitter that they thought he was coming over from the White Sox, but he's still not a bad player, but just not, you know, the big four-year contract that maybe they paid for still a good defender, but um, I digress. Thomas Nito, you know, a lot of these guys. Is friends, do you think after hearing about him, talking to him, listening to what coaches have to say, do you think it's crazy to promote him now? Or do you think that maybe the Mets trading for Wilson Contreras at the deadline, a rental catcher like that would make more sense, give him some more time to really develop? Or are you looking at a big league catcher right now? So the, the thing with the catcher position, and this is why I'm still valuable as a 35 year old or not quite 35 is it's not just the physical tools, right? James McCann has a lot more value than just what he brings with the bat and the glove. It's he's going out there and working with the best pitchers in the world in Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, the rest of that staff. It's not just how he catches the ball. It's what is he doing physically, non-verbally communicating, the pitch calling, the preparation, knowing the hitters, knowing your pitchers and being able to work with them, garner their respect. So Francisco Alvarez, whether he is a hundred times better physically or not, that is the question you have to ask yourself is you as a Mets having the best team they've had in a long time and a playoff bound team that's trying to win the world series right now is how are your pitching staff, your, your older guys, your $40 million best pitchers in the world going to like pitching to a rookie? Are they going to lead him like a deer through the woods and like call pitches from the mound in some capacity, which you can do if you know how to do it, or are they, would they be frustrated if he doesn't know what pitch they want to throw, if he doesn't, you know, read the batter swings as well as Nito or McCann, because I've heard nothing but good things about how Nito relates to his pitchers too. It's yeah. not just about what he's doing physically. There's so much more value there from the catcher position. And a guy like Francisco Alvarez too, we just saw a, a glimpse of him catching Jacob deGrom down there in the minor leagues too. So at least we saw a little spotlight into what the future might hold, but I've I kind of agree with you and maybe you didn't even say that you don't think that he could, but I have been on the basis of, I think a Wilson Contreras get a power bat right now, a guy who can definitely hit lefties, which the Mets can haven't been doing lately. That makes sense. Give him some more time to mature because you could push him up too quickly and it could ruin his confidence. You don't want to do that with a guy who has such a high pedigree in the minors. Who are some of the other prospects that you were really impressed with? Well, we talked about Riley Green and I played with him before I got traded over to the Marlins organization when he came through Toledo and in spring training before he broke his foot. This is a guy that's kind of atypical for a top prospect because he doesn't have any single skill that wows you, that stands out and jumps off the page. He's not an 80 power. He's not an 80 speed. He's not an 80 arm. But the longer you watch him play, you're like, wow, he's a really he's just a solid all around baseball player. He doesn't look like he's running that fast. But then you, you clock him and you're like, how fast was that to first base? And you watch him in the outfield. He catches every ball in the outfield with two hands, which you don't see but he catches everything and, and he, you know, you know, he might not be an 80 hit tool, but he puts together a really good at bat every single time. So Riley green, the more I got to watch him, the more impressed I was um, guys that were in the futures game, Orioles infielder, Gunnar Henderson. Um, we just played him. He killed us. He, they came down here to Jacksonville and I feel like we couldn't get him out for a week. We tried pitching him all sorts of different ways. 
Uh, and then a guy that I had in, uh, in spring training also with the Tigers was Dylan Dingler, catcher. Mm. He's going he's gonna to be really good too. You like Dylan Dingler a lot, especially coming from a catcher. What do you like most about Dingler? I think that, that he goes about the game the right way. It's exactly the intangibles that we were just talking about. Yeah. He handles himself well. He, he gains respect from, from everyone by the way he walks around. But he does have the tools that jump off the page. He's got the bazooka cannon for an arm. He's got the pop off the bat that you watch him take BP and you're like, holy moly. Like, yeah, you just hit that over the scoreboard. <laughs> and um, I just have another question about Riley Green, too, because it's 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 pretty timely right now that another Tigers prospect and Spencer Torkelson just got sent down. And when we're talking about tools across the board, Spencer Torkelson probably has a higher graded power tool than a Riley Green, maybe yeah. even a more exciting prospect when you look at a tool set. But at the end of the day, Spencer Torkelson struggled when he got called up and is now back in AAA. Not to say that he won't be great. Of course, he could be great because it's so early in his career and he got up in the cold. He's he's a warm weather guy, even in college, too. Like maybe the cold in Comerica just didn't do him right. Couldn't get his swing. Couldn't get the timing. That's OK. He'll go back to the minor leagues and he'll come back up and be a star again. But a guy with Riley Green, it's so hard for a guy to falter when he has such a well-rounded game. Who are some other minor leaguers that you feel have great sticking power in baseball? Not because they have the 80 power tool, not because they can run faster than the wind, but who are the guys who are the 55, 60 guys across the board that you've come across in the minors? Well, well, Spencer Torkelson is going to be just fine. Oh yeah. He'll be fine. Talk about a, a high character guy. I was in spring training with him and I was talking with AJ Hinch and AJ was like, you know, as a, as a 15 year player, AJ would have conversations with me about like, Hey, do you want to manage? Do you want to GM maybe later in your career? And we would talk about the other side of the game, the managerial side. And he was like, yeah, with, with Riley and with Torkelson, I'm trying to, I'm trying to break them in old school. They went on every single road trip in spring training. They played in every single game. But then again, these guys have played very little minor league baseball. We talked yeah, about yeah. it before we started recording here of you had the COVID year, then you had the shortened season last year. And then all of a sudden, this guy that was a first-round pick is in the big leagues just like that. He's played yeah. very little minor league baseball. He, he went up on a team that was playing in the cold in Detroit. The team had a lot of struggles offensively as a group, and hitting is contagious. If yep. Javi Baez is cold, the rest of the lineup might be cold also. And if Javi Baez is lighting the world on fire, it's going to make everyone else around him better. I don't think anyone is worried about Spencer Torkelson still being a star. Yeah. Not even a little bit. So I have to I have to ask, though, who are some of those staying power? Because we, when we're ranking prospects and to your point as well, when we were talking pre-record that it's so hard to rank some of these guys that were drafted in 2019, then only got a cup of coffee in the bigs 2020. They lose the entire season and then they have to come back and immediately be a prospect. I mentioned Andrew Vaughn is a guy like that. One of the most MLB ready bats that we've seen in the draft got picked third overall out of Cal. But then, he, you know, now he's got to play left field, even though he's a first baseman and he's barely played any games. And now finally, we're starting to see the bat play. Some of these guys just need a little bit longer. But that's why I'm so curious because yeah. Riley Green seems like almost an anomaly at some point. Like some of these 21 year old, 22 year olds who yeah. just stick in the bigs and it doesn't even matter. It, they could have everything stacked against them. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Are there any other guys that you've come across that are like that, that you think once they get to the bigs, they're not, they ain't coming down for no reason? Yeah, there's a, it's hard to say when you don't see a guy over and over. But True. being on the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp now, we've got some, some big power, big time power bats here in the Marlins system coming up. Um, Gerard Encarnacion 
hits the ball as hard as anyone I've ever seen. You know, he got a, a brief call up for a second, hit an op- opposite field grand slam in Miami, which is a huge field yeah. in his first at bat. He's here and it feels like once every other day he's hitting a ball. You're like, holy crap. You got um, JJ Bladet running around the outfield, catches everything in the air, big time pop, hits it to all fields. And then a the guy you may or may not have heard of is Charles LeBlanc, who huh. the Marlins got from the Texas system. He's just an all-around solid player. You know, maybe not the 80-grade tools, but you could put him at third base. You put him in the outfield. He hits every day. He's got some pop, puts a good at-bat together, but look out for him too. And uh, just about staying power, I mean, Gerard and Canacion, he just had a base hit off Jacob deGrom when I feel like Jacob deGrom is just out here bullying single-A, double-A, triple-A hitters, and he was the guy who got the base hit off him. So there's definitely some staying power with him, and I'm sure Marlins fans, because we got a lot of them who listen to this podcast, are going to be excited to hear. Just for those Marlins fans, because that we have a big base of ours, any pitchers that you've caught in the Marlins system that you say, wow, they have good stuff, because – I'm pretty sure that could be easy to say because this is one of the best pitching systems as well as in the big leagues that we have in baseball. Yeah, there's a lot of guys. It feels like we we have a staff here where we're in the game every single day. Even if we don't score a lot of runs, we have a chance to come back because there's the bats there. The bats are going to come around. The pitching staff has been awesome. You just had Max Meyer get called up. I was basically assigned to be his personal catcher for the last month since I got here. And, and he's really come a long way since I saw him at the alternate site in 2020 during the COVID year, right after he got drafted. There's a couple other pitchers. Um, I don't want to single anybody out because I know my teammates are going to watch this, but you, there's some good arms here. Right? You can trust that when they get called up, they're going to help the team. I got to say, and we're going to move on to some minor league topics too, but I just saw Yuri Perez at the Futures game. And I know it's just one inning and it's hard to say that, but I've been watching video on this guy too. This 19-year-old kid looks like an alien. That's all I got to say, like not from this planet. How are you six foot eight repeating your mechanics like that at 99 miles an hour with a disappearing breaking ball? I hate to say this, but I just get so excited about some of these players. I'm like, that's just Sandy. I mean, there he is, 19 year old. He looks unbelievable. Have you seen him up close? I haven't yet. He he's going to freak you out. He freaked me out when I saw him in person. He is so freaking good. And I'm so excited to see Max Meyer too. I know I already had a cup of coffee in the bigs, but he's going to have some staying power because he's got the fastball. He's got the slider. He's going to be a good pitcher. Let's talk about some of the big minor league topics because we're speaking with Ryan LaVarnway, who's catcher for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and AAA for the Miami Marlins. I got to ask you about a lot of these rules because a lot of these rules affect catching specifically. And I want to start with robot umpires because We've seen that. I think it's only going to start taking place in 2024. At least, I think that was the earliest. I saw that alert. I don't know how true that is. Maybe you can correct me. Maybe it will be up by next season. But it seems like 2024 is the year that they're pegging for that. For that to come to the majors? Yeah, for them to come to the majors. First, I just got to ask, how has it been in the minors? Have you experienced it? What's it been like? I'm going to tell you, I haven't played a game with it as the umpire yet because I was in the Eastern division of the international league with Toledo for the first you know, half of the season so far. And in the international league, they're only doing it in the Charlotte stadium only. So I haven't mm-hmm. been there yet, but I get the umpires that are like, Hey, I haven't called the game in two weeks because I've been only doing games where there's the robo ump. So I got to make sure I still know where the strike zone is from the umpire perspective. And the, the hitters talk about, we want the strikes to be strikes and the balls to be balls. Right. That's at the end of the day, I think that's what everyone wants. Nobody's worried about 
whether there's going to be an advantage one way or the other. I think you're going to have catchers that don't have the hit tool that the receiving tool is their main moneymaker. Mm. You're going to, you're going to see a shift in what is valued in the catcher in the catcher position, which has already happened once during my career. Right. When I got drafted in 2008, you couldn't measure receiving metrics like you can now. This was before stack S before Hawkeye. So you just had to pass the eye test. Does it look good when you catch it in the last 15 years, that's been totally revolutionized to receiving is the most important thing that a catcher does. And if you steal three strikes a game, that's more valuable than the offense that Mike Trout puts out on the field. Yeah. That's how they measure it. So some of these guys that have made entire careers out of receiving the ball, I think you're going to see a shift away from that. But then you might have the catcher position turn into an offensive position again. We'll see. So here's here's my view on it. I, and I've been I've been kind of pounding the desk. If 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 I have to watch a baseball game and it's the bottom of the fifth inning and it's a two to one ball game and it's three one count yep. and I have the umpire calling New York in order to see whether it's a ball or strike, I'm going to freak out and I'm obsessed with baseball. I'm turning the television off. That cannot happen. I want robot umpires if it is 100% seamless. So take your time with it, right? Yep. Make sure that it's perfect. I'm perfectly fine with it coming into the game if it's absolutely perfect. But then again, that will take away from a lot of catchers. For example, Jose Trevino, who I'm going to ask you about later when we talk about the all-star stuff, has now had an all-star type season because he's – and he's a guy who – the framing metrics would say that he's the best framer in baseball, but yep. you can watch it in real time. And it's hard to find a catcher where you really can see him stealing the low strike with incredible effectiveness. It's yep. the way he handles a pitching staff to your point about how important that is, is incredible. And that's why he deserved to be an all-star regardless of his offensive performance, even though he wasn't above average offensive catcher. So I also have a question just for you as the baseball player too. How good are these catching metrics? like defensive runs saved, you know, all these savant metrics. Yeah. Do you find them accurate? Because I bet you see some metrics on savant or on fan graphs. And then you watch the game with all your years of experience, knowing catching like the back of your hand. Do you, do you think it matches up really well? Or do you still think it's a little gimmicky? Both. I think it's a very valuable stat. And I think it's really important because if you steal that strike in a three, one count or a three, two count, that batter doesn't walk to first base. Then you don't even have to throw him out if he tries to steal second base. And then if you give up a, a weak hit or a seeing eye single that where that guy scores, you've eliminated that, that from even becoming a possibility. Hmm. So that strike that you steal, that changes the bat from, you know, in a one, one count from a two, one to a one, two count where the, the batting average is 30% different you know, 300 points different, that really goes a long way. And a lot of times when you steal the strike, you don't know how much you just saved because the game, you know, we're living in a, in a continuum where this is the future now versus yeah. if that had been a ball, I can tell you how many times it's been a three, two count and maybe a, the pitcher misses his spot. I'm set up on the outside corner. I reach across to try to steal it. And I know it was a strike. We have the Hawkeye up in the dugout. We could tell that on the K zone immediately we can tell in the dugout that it should have been a strike we yell at the umpire doesn't matter it's a ball that guy goes to first the next guy hits a double or a, or a homer on the first pitch it feels like every time when you don't get that strike so i think it's very very valuable that being said because i change teams every year and i've played for 13 organizations now i can tell you for a fact that every team measures it differently mm. in their internal scoring system of how they value players who they sign 
every team is measuring that stat differently. So for the fan who's living in Philadelphia, for the fan who's living in New York that can't watch West Coast baseball, maybe the game starts at 10 o'clock and they aren't able to watch Joey Bart of the Giants catch or Will Smith of the Dodgers, maybe even Cal Raleigh over there in Seattle. What are some metrics that you would say that are available to the public that we as fans should be looking at to try our best to evaluate a catcher? I think strikes above average. On baseball savant. Yeah, strikes above average. Because again, they kind of has, have decided that if you can steal three strikes above average, that's the equivalent of a run. Wow. So just add that to the, the team, that guy's RBI total, basically. Like if a guy drives in 50 runs, but he stole 150 strikes, that guy's a 100 RBI player, basically in the run differential, because you have to score more runs than, than you allow. So it's the same difference. So, and I feel like you might've already answered this question earlier in one of your answers, but when robot umpires eventually come into baseball, how do you view the catching position changing? I know that you mentioned that it might just be more offensively focused because a guy like Salvador Perez, by the numbers, he's the worst framer in baseball, but he also kind of hits 48 home runs. So he's still pretty valuable and he's still also the way he commands a pitching staff is also incredibly valuable. He's also a good blocker and he's also got a great arm. So just basing him just off framing, even though framing and receiving the ball is the most important thing. How do you view the catching position changing once we do have robot umpires? Like will Jose Trevino become not as important to a baseball team? Yeah, I think you're going to see the physical attributes that you can measure are going to go back to what they were 15 years ago of Mm. you need to block every single ball, not let anything buy you and throw dudes out and then hit, right? Because those are the only things that are going to matter physically again. I think the game's going to start going in the direction where you're going to start seeing a few stolen bases again. So you're going to want to throw guys out, but keeping the ball in front is going to be number one. And then the relationships that you're able to build with uh, with pitchers and game calling, that's something that all different teams, again, are, are trying to build a stat for right now, but doesn't exist yet. That where you have the, the, hot, the heat charge, the hot, cold zones for each hitter, and I, I know this was how the Tigers were trying to measure it. How often do you put a target or call a pitch that is in the batter's hot zone versus cold zone and the pitcher's hot zone versus cold zone? Because now they have the heat maps that line up this pitcher's repertoire versus this hitter's you know, how they face so that they have those blended heat maps. Every team has a version of this. And I know when I was with the Reds in 2019, they were trying to come up with a stat of how you call a game. And they're trying to find an objective measure of that, which is such a hard thing to do. But everyone's trying to do it. Everyone is trying to do it. And a guy who I feel has always done a really good job, even though he's never been much of a hitter, but there's a reason that one of the best teams in baseball keeps him around. Martin Maldonado seems to have a really good grasp of his pitching staff with the young guys over there like Luis Castillo, Christian Javier, Framber Valdez. It seems that Martin Maldonado could not get a hit during the season and they would still keep him behind home plate. So that's a guy who I just feel like has those intangibles regardless if he's hitting or not, but actually the hard hit rate is up. So maybe we're even about, looking at that bats Austin or Hedges in Cleveland. Exactly. And he does Austin Hedges metrics. Yeah, the receiving but, metrics for Hedges seem to be unreal. Have, is he a guy who some young, maybe they're trying to be catchers uh, one day, maybe some 13, 14-year-olds, that, that's a guy who they should model their game after defensively? What I would watch when you, when you watch Hedges is his little movements. Not necessarily just how he catches the ball, just how his one-knee stance adjusts from when, the, when the, he's giving a target when the pitcher is set 
and then he goes into his action stance on a knee once he sees whether the runner is stealing or not. But his preparation, his communic- nonverbal communication with the pitcher, if you go to a game, watch watch how he is always locked in on the pitcher and they're talking. When the hitter is steps out of the box and is, is doing his practice swing, they're talking with their eyes. Yeah. And, we, and, we, and Hedges is so smart that he has a binder on every umpire, whether each umpire likes you to stick it or to move it. And when they call more strikes, whether they call more on the outside or the inside, high, low, this guy is, is next level in his mind about catching. So phenomenal to hear, especially from a guy like Ryan LaVarnway. He's been catching now for 15 seasons. Let's talk about the pitch clock because that also is going to affect catchers and pitchers. And we were able to interview Tucker Davidson, who's a left-handed pitcher in AAA for the Braves right now, who even started game five in the World Series. And he doesn't love it, but that's not to say that he said that it won't be good moving forward. And just for anyone curious, the pitch clock now in the minor leagues, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 14 seconds from pitcher to catcher with no runners on, and it's 19 seconds with a runner on base. I've only heard positive things from everybody but pitchers. I've heard a lot from position players that the game is really moving faster. Can you fill in the holes where I missed on the pitch clock? And can you talk to your experiences of how you liked it so far? And really, is it moving the game quicker? Yeah, so it's not just what you said. It's 14 seconds from the time the pitcher catches it in the circle to the time he has to make a move towards home plate. So he either has to break his set to move towards home plate or he has to start his windup. Additionally, the hitter has to be in the box looking at the pitcher at nine. Mm. And that's the hard part for a, for a hitter. For me, last year with the pitch clock, if you hit a foul ball, there was no clock for the next pitch because especially with the game today, people are taking big swings. Yeah. And a big swing takes the wind out of you. Yep. So if you take a big swing, you have five seconds to be ready for the next pitch. And if you take two big swings in a row, you're probably going to be out of breath. You have five seconds to get ready for the next pitch. So to me, I wish they would put the foul balls, cut the clock back into the game, Hmm. but it does, it does make the game much, much faster. And I was the guy that needed the pitch clock because I play slow. (laughs) So I'm the guy they made it for, but I I appreciate it, especially when I'm catching. I think it gives the defense an advantage. So I, I would be careful if they were trying to add more offense back into the game of rushing the hitters. Ah, because you don't think that it's really rushing the pitchers. You think it's more rushing the hitters. There are some pitchers that it rushes. The guys that come set like. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about your Red Sox guys. I mean, Saul Mora takes an hour in between pitches. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Yankees fan. Back in the day. Love him yeah. to death. He was an amazing pitcher, but it took five hours every time he pitched. I mean, a Yankees-Red Sox game normally will last four hours. we got Sunday night baseball going into midnight every single time it's Yankees-Red Sox on Sunday night baseball. As, as a general baseball fan, though, I've never had a problem with the game going that long. I mean, I just love watching baseball. I could go four hours, I could go five hours, I'm still going to watch. But I also do understand that we need it for other fans just coming into the game. So let have you noticed you, that? Yeah. Let me tell you, as a person that has spent my entire life loving baseball and plays it every single day, this pitch clock is it, dude. Yeah. We, we play games in two hours and four minutes. Wow. We played a we played a doubleheader with a 30-minute break. It was seven inning games, but we played a doubleheader with a 30-minute break in between in under four hours. And just That's the fact, crazy. just because you love the game, you love the action. You want to see pitches. You want to see swings. You want to see balls put in play. After playing with the pitch clock this whole season, I watch Major League Baseball, and I'm like, oh, my God. Really play. 
Yeah. It, it changes. You're like, this can be better. And it has been better. So that's, that's making me seem like this really is kind of the future. Yeah. I think the kinks, the kinks need to be worked out of like, if you hit a foul ball and you need a, a breather, like you should, you shouldn't have to rush back into the box and be out of breath. Or if your contact fags fogs up, like right now, the pitcher gets one timeout, the hitter gets one timeout per at bat. The okay. pitcher's only the pitcher's only allowed to pick off twice. If you pick off a third time and he's safe, it's a balk. So that that's going to change the game in a weird way of like runners are going to be stealing, they're going to be trying to time, whatever. Like if your contact fogs up, you should be able to call time. But it really, really makes the game more enjoyable to watch and be a part of. And I'm a big fan of stolen bases in general. So I'm all for that kind of strategy there because we've even seen that starting to take place in, in the major leagues. I mean, the Yankees, I mean, they're a different team now. So you could say, you know, just because, you know, they have some quicker guys now than they maybe did last year. But at the end of the day, they have as many stolen bases by the all-star break as they did in all of 2021. And that's widely affecting baseball. And I feel like those types of strategies start in the minor leagues and then are now moving forward into the big leagues. I want to ask you, what are some rules that maybe you've thought of in your head over the time playing in minor league baseball and in major league baseball that you want implemented? Oh man. Put your GM hat on. I've kind of been a a baseball purist for the most part. Like even when they're talking about banning the shift or, or making a 45 degree pie cut where you have to be on each side of it. I think, how do you go backwards? Like if, if the statistics tell you we're, we could play defense better if we shift, how do you not let a team do that? So I'm, I'm more of a purist. Uh, I believe the game should only be moving forward. Um, but if you want to talk like fun, silly rules, like maybe you should be able to throw your glove up and hit a ball if it's a, if it's a bomb or if there's a fan wearing the right uniform that catches it, they're out. I don't know. That's actually electric. If you have a fan the of the Savannah, jersey and they're yeah. able to catch it, that's an out or at least maybe a, a foul ball. Yeah, I love what the Savannah Bananas are doing. I think it's making baseball fun again. It is making baseball fun again. And a guy, in my opinion, who isn't making baseball as fun is Mr. Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball. And you don't have to say it, but I'm going to say it. He's making baseball a little bit less fun. At least he did it during the lockout. And he came out with a quote that really upset me. And I know it upset a lot of people in the minor leagues. We saw it all over Twitter and we just saw it all over the baseball world. His comments on when asked about minor leaguers not being paid a livable wage didn't even answer it. He said, I kind of reject, and this is in quotes, I kind of reject the premise of the question that minor league players are not paid a livable wage. What was your reaction and what was the reaction around the clubhouse with something like that? We've been on the all-star break since he made that comment. So I don't really know what the group reaction is going to be, but realistically, it's part of, it's part of what minor league baseball has always been about, right? guys grind guys struggle it's part of like the brotherhood it's it sucks realistically i had a triple a coach told me that or tell me one time that the low pay was another way of weeding guys out that if they couldn't handle it or if they couldn't afford it it's it's silly but that's the system that most guys have come up in so if they can make the game better for different guys if the goal is ultimately to have the best talent in the major leagues then paying them below the minimum wage should not be a method of weeding guys out, right? We want to have the best players make it to the majors. We want to have the most competitive game in the world. So make it a system where that you can have the best players play. 
seems very easy. I hope he understands the message because we need it and we need minor leaguers to get paid. Sleep in a bed. How about not on a couch in a farm in Biloxi, Mississippi? In your car. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in your car. I mean, I've heard stories like that countless times. But let's end with the major leagues. I saw on your Twitter that you loved watching Jose Trevino mic'd up with Nestor Cortez Jr. Just tell me a little bit about that and how cool that was to watch from your perspective being a big league catcher now for over a decade. Yeah, that was cool. Nestor, I played with when I was with the Yankees in 2019 when he was on his way up. Um, I really, really enjoy that because I know that's part of what I do best is work with a pitcher on calling pitches in any situation, in any count with any hitter, there's always more than one option that could be the right pitch, right? We could go heater down and away. We can go cutter up and in change up down and away. They all serve a similar purpose based on how the hitter reacted to the last pitch or mm. based on what the pitcher is throwing well that day. And just getting to witness, like, I thought it was a little tough when, the broadcasters were talk, trying to talk to Nestor while he's pitching. I'm like, how's this guy supposed to focus right now? But when you had the like, hey, what do you want to go with right here? Let's go cut her up and in or let's go cut her back door. I thought that was phenomenal television. And I hope that we can see more of that. Me too. So thank you so much, Ryan, for hopping on the Just Baseball Show. Anything you got to plug before we say goodbye? Not now, man. I, I enjoy this. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. We got to just unpack your brain about catching. Cause I was, you know, I was a catcher in high school, but there's a reason that you're catching and I'm not. So I got to unpack your brain and, and hear more about what you got to say. So this is Ryan LaVarnway. His Twitter will be in the episode description as well. Thanks again for joining us, Ryan. All right. Thank you. The prospect brain on that guy. He has been in baseball now since 2011 drafted by the Boston Red Sox in the sixth round and you know what's funny, Jack? I wanted to ask him about his draft party because I was watching the Derek Jeter documentary. And Derek Jeter, he was watching it with just his parents. Not even watching it because it wasn't on TV. And he didn't know that the first five picks, I don't want to ruin the whole Derek Jeter doc, but this was a great one because I'm seeing now the draft parties with all these guys who are just in full suits and just the pageantry around it. Right. And you go back even before Ryan LaVarnway was drafted to Derek Jeter where he's just in sweatpants waiting for the sixth pick to the New York Yankees. I asked him about the draft party. It's just, it's cool to see how baseball has progressed. And with the robo umpires, we were talking about potentially, you know, the difference of how framing is the most important aspect of catching. But now with robo umpires, we could start to revert back to, oh yeah, Salvador Perez is the best catcher in baseball because it doesn't matter what he frames. All you got to do is block the ball. You got to throw runners out and you got to hit nukes. I'm kind of excited for that low key because that's more fun to rank catchers rather than just going in Savant and ranking them by the freaking framing metrics. I understand, man. Um, yeah, I find that level, that AAA level, just being at it, I, I find it fascinating because, you know, much like that, I was I was talking to Jason Delay and he said, I feel absolutely useless back there because like all I work on is framing. And, and here we are. And, um, you know, it happened in Charlotte for I want to say like two games they had an automatic strike zone and he was just like I felt so useless I was like I I hear you man but Lavarnway, I I find I find it so interesting the mentorship that a guy like Lavarnway and I guess next week Taylor Davis um, provides to young guys like Lavarnway, a lot of the prospects that you talk to or that you talked about with him um, are guys that he is probably mentored in a certain you know, severity, like Max Meyer probably picked up a thing or two from Ryan LaVarnway, that type of thing. And this was a top 100 guy in his own right. Say 2012, he was a top 100 guy and he debuted with the Red Sox. 
been up and down, up and down, team by team, up and down, team by team. He is constantly moved around. He just loves baseball so much. He's 34 years old. He's still going. And he knows that he might get that crack again at the major leagues. And he wants to be there for that. Really smart guy. He's a Yale man. He's a Yale man. And you could you could tell the Yale in his voice, too, because just a baseball mind at his core. So that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Hopefully everybody has a good weekend. We have a free $10 gift card in our episode description to whatnot for all of our card collectors. You want some free money again to go get some cards. Use that code in our episode description. Free $10. Might as well just go get yourself a pack of cards. No sweat off your back. Free $10. Whatnot. That is in the episode description as well. If you want to join our chalkboard group chat, that is all over our link tree, which as well you can find on our social media pages, as well as use our promo code Just Baseball for signing up with prize picks. And with that, thank you, everybody. Thank you.